All right, take your Bibles and join me in Mark's Gospel. We're still in the first chapter. Um, yeah, it's a long chapter. It's 45 verses. And we're going to start in verse 16. Um, I've entitled this section, if you will, the Follow Me Gospel. And I want to ask the question with that title, whatever happened to the Follow Me Gospel? Whatever happened to when the gospel was preached, along with repentance of sin and belief in Christ Jesus as the Messiah and in his death, burial, and resurrection, was also the understanding of a life that was now committed to him, a following of Jesus. Several years ago, um, I took a master's level course called the Bonhoeffer Cohort. It was on discipleship. It was for pastors. And I just wanted to get a better grasp, if you will, of what is discipleship. I knew it was important. What I didn't know is how it was best accomplished. And so I paid for it out of my own pocket, and it was not cheap. And there was a ton of homework. And one of my first assignments, we were assigned a gospel. I got, I, I got Mark. And we were to go home that month, and we were to read the whole gospel and come back and say, what is the gospel according to this gospel? And here's the reality. When I think of the gospel, and I hear gospel, and probably you too, Right? Hopefully you think repentance of sin, faith in the finished work of Jesus, right? Um, some of us grew up in such a culture in church. We, if, if I said the Romans road, how many of you would be familiar with that statement here today? So, so what is that? That is a way to share the good news of Christ through Paul's letter to the Romans, right? And there are certain verses we would go through. But in reality, as I, as, as I read the entire Gospel of Mark, all 16 chapters, unless one of those tracks fell out of the Gospel of Mark that showed you how to pray a, a something we invented called the sinner's prayer. You won't find that in the Bible, by the way. I came back and I'm not sure where the Gospel is, except in chapter 1 where Jesus said to repent and believe in Him as the Messiah. And our proctor, uh, who is a gracious man, said, what about the next verse? And I said, well, what about it? The next two verses, beginning of verse 16, says this. If, 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 if I'll take you back, as Jesus comes preaching the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom of God, verse 15, and here, this was his whole sermon uh, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe in the gospel. Believe in this good news, this, this glad tidings of great joy that I'm sharing with you, that I am He. The kingdom's here. He said, you stopped too soon. You're missing one element of the gospel. Look at verse 16. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, but they were fishermen. Look at verse 17. 
Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. He said, you left out the follow me part of the gospel. And when we share the gospel, we should be sharing the follow me part. Amen. That is part and parcel of this good news. One of the books we used um, in that cohort was by a gentleman named Bill Hall. And in it, he said this, and I'll never forget it. In his introduction, he said this, The gospel we preach determines the disciple we get. Think about that for a minute. The gospel we preach, the good news that we preach, determines the disciple we get. And then he went on throughout several chapters of this, <coughs> excuse me, of this book to show very clearly where we have separated sanctification from salvation. Right? That we can be, we can be saved, rescued from our sin, but never follow Jesus. And he uses most of the book to prove that in this New Testament, there is no case that can be made for a whole new category of Christian that we invented called the carnal Christian. It's not in the Bible. You want to know what a carnal Christian is? A lost person who is outside of Christ. That's a carnal Christian. And that's some of you today. That used to be me. And on some days, my wife wonders if it still is. <laughs> right? <coughs> There's no such thing as a carnal Christian. Because Christians, me, little Christ, we follow Jesus. By the way, that even that word Christian, I, I, wish, I wish I could expunge that from our vocabulary. Did you know that in the Bible, in the New Testament, that word Christian shows up three times? Just three. You know how many times the word disciple shows up? 281. Three to 281. You know what you ought to be referring to yourself as? I am a disciple of Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. That's what you should call yourself. Christian was a derogatory term that started in Antioch, uh, the northern shore of the Galilean province there. And they said, y'all acting like a bunch of little messiahs, little Christs. That's what Christian means. Only shows up three times, but disciple is there a lot. So let's look at the scriptures today, and I just want to unpack a few things with us as we think about this idea of what it means that we must not, we must find a way, church, as we, as we look at Mark's fast gospel, his immediate gospel, we, we, we must find a way to repair, to sew back onto the gospel, the back half. As Bill Hall says, we invite people to come to a Christ that costs them nothing. And we invite them to repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus. And because we have severed follow me, following Christ from the gospel, we spend the rest of our ministry lives begging them to pick up the back half of their contract. 
Well, what we need to do is declare that on the front end. Does that make any sense today? So let's look at the scripture itself. I've already read it, but let's start again at verse 16. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, we're going to talk about Galilee in a minute. Really cool, some interesting facts about it. He saw Simon. What's Simon's, what's Simon's other name? He actually got two, Peter, and then later on he'll be called a rock, um, Cephas. And what were they doing? Casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. They, what's that word, church? They what? Immediately, there it is again. I, I, I decided to highlight that word in my preaching Bible. And it's already been said twice, said, um, actually I think three times. This is the fourth time in this, this little short chapter. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther from there, he's still on the sh shore. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. By the way, that's John the Beloved apostle, disciple, the kid, he was the youngest, who also were in the boat mending their nets, and there's that word again, verse 20, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. So I want to start there just, just real quick. So, so it kind of opens up, Jesus preaching, and when it says there at the end of verse Verse 15, his, his little sermon that he preached, repent and believe the good news, right? Believe I'm he, the, I'm, I'm here. He's, he's preaching this message, I want you to imagine, as he's walking along the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Can you picture that in your mind right now? So as he's walking, he's preaching this message. Over and over again, he's walking the shore. And by the way, where he is, matter of fact, I think, Lisa, I think there's a picture up here, a, a, a map. That's the Sea of Galilee, kind of shaped like a harp. Now, he's up there in the very, see that top part where it says Capernaum? He's up there in that northern, that northern end of the Sea of Galilee. And even to this day, it is absolutely stunningly gorgeous. Um, that is a beautiful, possibly the most beautiful uh, area around in all of Israel, but definitely around the Sea of Galilee. You can see the really high mountains all around it. Um, it's kind of shaped like a, like, a, like a kidney. And as he's walking, he's preaching. It has several names, this, this Sea of Galilee. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's called the Sea of Kinnereth. And that, the root word of that is the word for harp. And it's because if you look at it, it's kind of, doesn't it kind of shape like a harp? Now, my question, one of the kids in my New Testament survey class asked, asked this, because they're fascinated by all these names. Um, he said, it is shaped like a harp, but how does someone in the Old Testament know it's shaped like a harp? <laughs> how do we know it's shaped like a harp? You've got to get up above it, right? <laughs> but I think they were, they were good map makers, and I think if you, there's a way to walk that around, and I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. It's not that big of a, of a lake per se, um, almost 14 miles tip to tip, and I think it's about eight miles wide. You can walk around it, and I think they had mapped it out. And, and so they name it uh, basically Harp Lake. <laughs> so it's got several different names. Uh, Kinnereth in the Old Testament, Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret, Luke 5.1, and the Sea of Tiberias, named after Tiberius Caesar, and John 6 and verse 1. It's interesting, it is fresh water, 
And did you know that it, it is almost just shy of 700 feet, check this out, below sea level. Pretty low, isn't it? Actually, it's the lowest sea level freshwater body, body of water in the world. The lowest is the Dead Sea, but obviously it's full of salt. So it's nearly 690 feet below sea level, which is remarkable. It starts up at the top there. I don't know that you can see it. Um, but it starts up at the top off of Mount Hermon, just shy of 10,000 feet high. Um, the, the Jordan River comes into the Sea of Galilee. And you can see the Jordan River also exits it on the south end. This area is where Jesus spends the majority of his ministry. One of the, uh, Josephus, the, the Roman Jewish historian said, uh, on any given day there were over 300 boats fishing on this 13, by, 13 mile by 8 mile body of water. One of, the, one of the more readily available fish caught there, and there's a picture of this next here, is uh, it's called, they, they've now called it St. Peter's fish. That's a red-bellied tilapia. Now, for most of us, that doesn't look appetizing, but I'm looking back there, my son Paul's thinking, that looks really good for lunch. He's, and Ben, too. Ben and Paul are my fish, fish sons over there. <laughs> but that's a, that's a red-bellied tilapia. And if you go to Israel today in the Sea of Galilee, you will order that as St. Peter's fish. Um, again, that, I'd rather have St. Peter's steak or lamb <laughs> than that fish but this this was this is a fish that's probably the kind that filled up peter's net early on um so all that being said <laughs> let me walk through this text with you today in your outline and the first point in there it really comes from this so he's walking by the sea and don't forget as he's walking what is he preaching Rep the kingdom of god's here because i brought it Repent of your sins and believe that I'm the Messiah. Believe in me, right? Believe this great news that finally your Messiah is here. So this is his message. But there's a third part to his message, and it's this follow me part, right? So he's walking along this shore, and he runs into these guys, um, and he says, follow me. I just call this the invitation. All right, follow me, and it's the invitation, um, also interesting in here, I don't know if you know this, this is not the first time that, that Jesus has met Peter and John. Did you know that? Or Andrew. Um, matter of fact, it just put something in your Bible there in Mark, and, and go with me real quick back to um, John. John's Gospel, chapter 1. The first, that's another long chapter for some reason. John's Gospel, chapter 1. Look at verse 35, John 1, 35. Now, remember this first part of John. John 1, 35 begins the, what we call the lost year of Jesus' ministry, what we call it the lost year. Remember that from his culmination of his 40-day fast up until he, we, we go to verse 14 when he's preaching, right, is a whole year has passed. And the only place we have any information about that year is in John chapter 1, actually starting in verse 35 here, tells us about that year and it goes through chapter 4, early in chapter 4. It gives us all the events of that year, the wedding at Cana, the cleansing of the temple, him talking to Nicodemus at night, in Judea, by the way, 
all this. So a year has passed. Jesus goes back north to his home country, his home province, the province of Galilee. And he starts walking around this lake and he's preaching. All right. But check this out. A lot of you probably never knew this, but the context I think is so interesting. This is a, almost a year before our text today. So check it out. Again, verse 35, the next day John stood with his two disciples, that's John the Baptist, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and check this out, and they what? They followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, seeing them following, and said, What do you seek? What are you after? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus gives them a soft invitation. He says, well, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him, check this out, was who? Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So, so, so Andrew spent the day with him. We're pretty sure, we can't say this ironclad, I think we think the other guy was John. John never mentions himself by name. He always goes third person or ignores himself altogether. Because how would John have this information? I think John was the other guy. So, so, so if that's the case, John knew Jesus beforehand as well. We're going to see John show up in a minute. Verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon. So, so Andrew leaves Jesus, goes back and finds Simon. Peter and says to him, we have found a Messiah, which is translated to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. So now Andrew gets Peter and says, hey, I want to introduce you to Jesus. He's the, we think he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. So Peter has met Jesus a year before our text today. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Um, now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas which is translated a stone. So that's Jesus' nickname, if you will, for Peter. So um, it's not the first meeting of, of Jesus and Peter and Andrew, and I think that's very telling. So pick our text back up. You got a little bit of context for the Sea of Galilee. He's walking on the shore. He's preaching the same message. And he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother. And what were they doing, church? They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So when he sees... As he's walking along preaching, repent and believe the gospel because the kingdom's here, he sees Andrew and Simon and he what? He knows them. And they what? They know him. They're already acquainted. And they're curious about this man. They believe he, he, he very well could be the Messiah. And they're doing their thing. They were fishermen, and they were casting. Notice it doesn't say, Ben, notice it doesn't say they were casting a line into the sea. They were casting a what? A net into the sea. Ben has a cast net. Now, yours is a small one. Their cast net would be 40 feet in diameter. Can you imagine it took two men to throw it. But they would throw this thing out, and it would, it would, it would umbrella out into a circle, hit the water, and it had weights all along the edges. Um, it would sink down really fast and they would pull it. And when they did, those weights would come together and whatever was in the middle, that was the fish that you caught. So they're out there fishing. Apparently pretty close to shore. 
<coughs> a lot of this is thinking they would do this at the end of the, they fish at night. So this was probably the end of their fishing day. And normally what they would do is they would, they would set a line of nets out and then come back and pull them in into deeper water. But a lot of times if they hadn't caught anything, as they got bad, just to try to get something to take to the market, they'd throw those cast nets out closer to shore and just get what they could, right? And we see this in Luke's account uh, of the call of, of, of Peter and Andrew. Um, they hadn't caught anything at Jesus. Oh, throw your net on the other side, right? And what happened? Anybody been to Sunday school? Yeah. It, the, the, every fish in a lake jumps into their net, right? And their boat's sinking. Mark doesn't include that. Anybody surprised Mark doesn't include that? Too many words. <laughs> That's not what, that isn't what Mark's after, is it? Now he just sees Peter and Andrew and he already knows them and they're casting their net into the sea. I just want you to see there's a, there's a pre-relationship there. By the way, I want to put a pin in that right here. Some of you are just like Peter and Andrew today. You have a knowledge of Jesus. Listen to me, listen to me, but you're not following him. Hmm? Am I talking to somebody today? You know about Jesus, but you don't know him. And this might be the day that you hear the call of our king to say, follow me. And I'm going to teach you how to catch people. Right? Maybe that's you today. It's an invitation. Just jot this down in your outline. Um, Matthew 16, 24. Matthew 16, 24, this is Jesus talking a little bit later in his ministry, and he says to his guys, he said, look, if any man's going to come after me, there's, there's two requirements. First of all, he's got to deny himself. What's that mean? It means you say no to you. By the way, let me ask you, when's the last time you said no to you? When's the last time you said no to God? You ought to be saying no to you a lot more than you're saying no to God. Amen. Jesus said, first thing you got to do is deny yourself if you're going to follow me. And then he says this, take up your what? Cross. And he doesn't mean a nice little golden pendant around your neck. That means the instrument of execution. Not only deny yourself, the second requirement is die to yourself. Realize there's an end to what was called you and a new you is about to, come, to be born again. Amen? Deny yourself. And then he says what? And then follow me. In order to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus means you have to say no to a lot of other things. Have you? Can I ask you a fair question, I think, this morning? When's the last time you said no to something because you're following Jesus? Without a death, there's no disciple. Amen? Take up your cross. If you're following Jesus, it'll cost you everything. And if it hasn't cost you everything, I want you to hear me, then you're not following Jesus. You're following a get-out-of-hell-free card. And you know what that lands you? Right into hell for all of eternity. That's not how it works. Can I be more clear? That is not how it works. If you've come to Christ just to get out of hell, that's right where you're headed. I promise you. Follow me. And it's not what you can get out of it. Because I'm worth it. You might jot this down here. I think it'll be on the screen. A disciple knows and follows Jesus. That's a head thing. It's a decision. 
something you know. It's a decision you make as God gives to you that invitation today. Follow me. S.I. McMillan, in his book, None of These Diseases, tells a story about a young woman who wanted to go to college, but her heart sank as she read the question on the application blank that asked, quote, are you a leader? End quote. Being both honest and conscientious, she wrote no, and returned the application expecting the worst. To her surprise, she received this letter from the college, Dear Applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. <laughs> right? <laughs> Listen, Jesus didn't call you to lead him. He called you to follow him. How many of you know when you get ahead of Christ, not good things happen? You ever done that? I'm ashamed to tell you. I'm ashamed to tell you how many times I've done that in my life. Not a good idea. The invitation is to follow. Literally, literally in, in the vernacular, if you were to follow a rabbi in that day, um, um, you would actually go to the rabbi and ask to be chosen, to be selected. And if you were so fortunate that you were selected, it was said that you, you, were, you, you, would, you were called to literally to walk in the dust of your rabbi. In other words, to walk so closely behind your rabbi that as his sandals kicked up the dust, you would walk in, that, in the dust of, of the sandals of your rabbi. That's how close you were to walk. That's the invitation. Number two, I want to see the transformation. I love this. Follow me. Invitation. And I will make you become fishers of men. Notice what it says. Who does the making here? Yeah. You follow in my dust. You follow so close that the dust that I kicked up, kick up gets all over you. You follow me that close. You do life together with me. And, and an amazing thing is going to happen over time. You're going to become something that you're not yet. Now, this is so cool. When I started to look at this verse here, and it's simply, just jot this down. The verb is passive. Who does the making? He says, don't follow me, and you'll make yourself into a fisher of men. No, follow me. Here's the passive verb, and I'll do the making. I'll make you <laughs> to catch men. You see it? I'm so glad that it's ordered that way, aren't you? And I think there's a message in there too, simply that consistent behavior reveals core beliefs. Right? The closer you are to Christ, the closer you're following Him. He has a, a radical, real-world, everyday impact on who and what you are. Now, did Peter and Andrew, after following him for a day, become fishers of men? No. Did they become fishers of men after following him for a year? No. What about two? No. Not even three. Matter of fact, the, I just read this the other day. 
And it's just convincing me how desperately we need the Holy Spirit today. Amen? The last meeting they have with the risen Christ. He gives them the commission. The great commission. Right? You know what their last question is? So, uh, you, you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel now, right? They're still thinking physical kingdoms. I, I don't know how Jesus put up on them. Three and a half years and Peter's still thinking earthly kingdom. Physical. And Jesus says, no, you know what, guys? Just go back to Jerusalem and whatever you do, don't do anything. Just do nothing until the Holy Spirit comes. Day of Pentecost shows up. Holy Spirit falls, fills them. You know what you never hear again? Physical kingdom. Because until the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ was in them, they could not comprehend anything but their own plans. Listen to me. Saints and not yet saints in here today. Until the Holy Spirit fills you inside out, you will never be able to think of anything but you. And the way that you know that something's happened to you is that you care about things outside of you. And those things are generally longer-term things, not shorter-term things. Those things are generally eternal things, not temporal, physical things. That makes sense this morning? I'll make it to you. So here's, here's the note here. A disciple is being changed by Jesus. First of all, a disciple knows and follows Jesus. That's a head decision. And secondly, is a disciple is being changed by Jesus. That's a heart-level decision change. And don't miss it. How does that change happen? It comes by, by walking in the dust of your king. Are we walking that close? Here's the third one. Follow me and I will make you become what, church? Fishers of men. That's a change of vocation. First is invitation Second is transformation, and third is vocation. I'm going to change what you do. I'm going to change who you are, and then I'm going to change what you do. How many of you know that when who you are changes, your identity changes, your actions are closely behind to follow? Amen? That sound, does that sound fair today? <coughs> A disciple is committed to the mission of Christ. A hands-level change. Are you committed to that? I don't know how the Lord puts up with us sometimes. I don't know how He put up with those guys. But boy, when the Holy Spirit came, all of a sudden it all fell into place. And Peter went from hiding in a locked upper room to standing before thousands of Jewish zealot pilgrims on the day of Pentecost and basically sticking his finger in their face and saying, you guys murdered the king of glory. It's on you. What were you thinking? The Bible says they were, his hearers were cut to the heart. How, how is it he goes from hiding, scared for his own welfare, to the next day standing up before thousands, not caring for his welfare, and telling them, you murdered the king of glory. That's on you. So much so they say, what do we do about that? He says, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. 
Wow! Wow, what happened to him? His vocation changed. He stopped fishing for fish and he starts fishing for what? Men. And guess what he caught? Over 3,000 that first day. That's a pretty good catch. And by the way, the last time he went fishing with Jesus was just not all that long, just a few days before, as it were, a few weeks before. Same shore, same sea, same scenario. Peter tried to go back to being a fisher of fish and Jesus ruined it for him again. Y'all remember that? And now he becomes a fisher of men. And listen to me, you never hear it one more time that Peter's out fishing in the, ocean, in the lake. Peter's fishing for people. His vocation has changed. Has your vocation changed? How many of you remember that little poem that came out years ago? I think mom's got a copy of it on her bookshelf at home called Footprints in the Sand. You remember that one? You know, I had a dream. Yeah. I'm walking down the shore and there's your footprints, Jesus, and there's mine in these chapters. And all of a sudden, when it gets really hard, there's only one set of footprints. And the person writing the poem turns to Jesus and says, where were you? Why did you leave me? And of course, you know, it ends so beautifully. because, goes, oh, my child, you don't understand. When the times got hard, that's when I carried you. Right? Makes us feel really good. Someone amended that poem, and I think it's a poem for disciples today, and it goes like this. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen. The footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not upon the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared, and I asked, Lord, what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they're too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow, and the walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired, I got fed up, and there I dropped you on your butt. Because in life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb, when one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. And I fear today, that's our poem. It's a little crass, but it makes the point. That's the church today. And it's because nobody's preaching anymore the follow me gospel. And that's the gospel of the kingdom. And there's two people in the kingdom. I say it all the time. There's the king and the dumb, and you're not the king. The last thing I want to show you real quick <laughs> I know you've never seen this word in a text before, but it's the word immediately. Mark's favorite word. And I just call this one renunciation. This is so amazing to me. They already knew, they already knew Jesus. They had already met him. Jesus had invited them to come and see, come check it out. But now Jesus said, okay, done checking me out. It's time to follow me. And if you'll walk in my dust, I'm going to transform you into something that you're not yet. A fisher of men. I'm going to change your vocation. <laughs> and I love this. I love the renunciation. Immediately, they texted their wives and asked permission. Is that what it says? And we know Peter was married. You're going to see that next week. Uh-uh. They immediately left their nets and followed him. How soon after did they do that? Immediately. 
And, and we, could, we could look at that and say, well, that's a fluke. We know Peter was crazy, and John was right behind him. Those, those brothers are nuts. So he gives us another example. So they're following Jesus. They're walking down the shore. Very familiar shore to them. They live right there, right? And they come across a couple of their buddies who also already know Jesus because I'm convinced John was the guy, the other disciple in, in John 1. Look at verse 19. When they got a little farther, not much farther, Jesus preaching the same message, repent, believe, and follow. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, that's the older brother, by the way, and John, the kid brother, who also were, they're actually in the boats and they're mending their nets. They're, putting their, they're literally making their nets useful again. And that's an interesting word, mending. It's the word that's used in Ephesians 4, the job of pastors to equip the saints. Isn't that interesting? They're mending their nets, minding their own business. Verse 20, and immediately, there's that word again, he called them, same call. I'm assuming it's the same thing. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they, what did they do? And they left. They left their dad, man. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and, and, and underline this in your Bible. And they and went after him. They went after him. They renounced all of their plans. <laughs> and they said, you know what? He's the guy. We're going after him. We're going after him. He is the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, I want to say to you today, a faith that costs you nothing benefits you nothing. There's no such thing as cheap grace. They immediately left their nets to follow him. Here's a good definition of discipleship. You should write it down. Dropping all and following Jesus. Dropping it all and following Jesus. He is the first and only priority of your new life. Because I want to tell you something, and somebody needs to hear this today. Jesus will not be an addition to your life. You will be an addition to his. We've got it backwards. Let me say that again. Jesus refuses to be an addition to your life. Instead, he invites you to be an addition to his. Isn't that good news today? Come and be a part of something bigger than you are. Follow me. And there's no hesitation immediately. And again, the quick pace of Mark highlights the immediate obedience of his characters. Tom. Tell me. Yeah. Right. They're with him. They did. <laughs> he was. No, they saw him turn water into wine. Isn't it? Yeah, because because if, if if those C minus students eventually got it, maybe I will, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord, isn't that? That's, that's why it's called gospel good news. Tidings of great joy, right? Wow, thank you, Tom. That's really good. Yeah, and they had done some walking and following Jesus. But this is different. 
Now he's literally saying, walk in my dust. Watch, I, I tell my boys when they hit a certain age, we're, we're going we're gonna to do close life together. It's the age when a boy wants to pull away from his dad. And, you know, and I've said this to every one of my older sons. I say, you, you're gonna, you and I are going to walk so close, you're going to know the smell of my deodorant. That, that, that's, a, that's a 21st century say a way, way of saying, you're going to walk in my dust. Follow me. And I want to be the man of God that causes you to want to follow my king as well. Wow, that's good news in this. No hesitation. And again, Mark is highlighting the obedience here. They had seen enough, Tom, right? They had witnessed enough. And now, I don't think it was like a big deal for them to chunk all that stuff. It's like, man, this is the guy that just a couple weeks ago turned water into wine. Yeah, I'm going to follow you. This, I'd be nuts not to. And by the way, I want to say to you today, if you're not following him, you're crazy. You're worse than crazy. You're dead in your trespasses and sin, and you need to be made alive in Jesus Christ through repentance, obedience, and following him the rest of your life. And the church said, amen. amen. I want to close with this quote from my favorite preacher, the great Baptist Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. He said this about this text. He said, should the reader be impressed with any duty while pursuing these pages, let him hasten to fulfill it, listen, before the holy glow has departed from his soul. And let him leave his nets and all that he has sooner than be found rebellious to the master's call. Do not give place to the devil by delay. Haste while opportunity and quickening are in happy conjunction. Do not be caught in your own nets, but break the meshes of worldliness and away where glory calls you. Is he calling you? You spent time with him on the fringes. What are you following? I love those last lines. And if I would have been smarter, I would have just titled my sermon, and they went after him. Can I just ask a fair question? What are you pursuing with your life's energies today? I'm asking me that. What, what are we going after? And is it worth it? Are you going after James and John? See you later, Pop. We're out. We're going after him. Are you going after him? In our video this morning, Nabil Qureshi, a Muslim convert to Christ, was asked at the end of his Q&A session, was it worth it? Because he gave up his family. He, he, he hurt his parents deeply. He said, he said, when I told my mother I was following Jesus, he said the light went out in her eyes and it never came back. And he said, is it worth it? And Nabil said this, is it worth it? That I know the creator of heaven and earth and his son who bought me, and that if I am killed for it, that just means I wake up in his presence. Is it worth it? It's absolutely worth it. That's a guy who's following.
Some of you have accepted the invitation to come and see. Some of you have been to the wedding at Cana and have watched Jesus do supernatural things, but you're still not following. And today, maybe he's saying to you, follow me, walk in my dust, follow me so close that I'll ruin you for your plans. And I'll turn you into something you, could only, you couldn't even imagine when I fill you with my spirit. Follow him. And they went after him. And we would do well to do the same. Amen? Stand with me. Courtney's going to come and we're going to sing a little something, but maybe you don't need to sing. Maybe you just need to come. Maybe you need to come and say, hey, they left it all, man. They left those nets. The two of them left Pop in the boat. And they went after him. Maybe you need to come after him. Maybe that starts by getting out of your seat and kneeling at an old-fashioned altar. God's speaking to you. You come. This is no joke. It's not your life. It's his. Some of you have answered the call to come and see. Now it's time to answer the call, follow me. It's time to get off the fence. And it's time to get real. You come as God speaks to your heart this morning. Father, we come to you today thanking you for the gospel of the kingdom, the follow me gospel, unequivocally commands and demands that we follow you, that we follow you so close and come after you so hard that we're literally walking in the dust of your feet and that somehow by being near you and doing life with you, it transforms us from worldly pursuits to those who catch people. Lord, if we're not fishing, we're not following. Would you teach us to be wise today? Follow hard after you. If you're speaking to someone today, let them be like Peter, John, James, and Andrew. To chuck it all and go after you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.